Welcome to the GAIN Service Academy Admission Podcast. In these episodes, we will explore all things related to gaining a coveted appointment to the Air Force Academy, Naval Academy, and West Point. And here are your hosts, Rob Kirkland and Trish Penroth. Okay, uh, hi everyone. We're back after a little bit of uh, a, uh, a a delay here. I know we've been putting on a few less podcasts than normal, but we uh, are kind of doing them periodically here to uh, talk about areas of the service academy that you know that uh, Captain Penrod and I uh, you know deal with with candidates, uh, as well as things that kind of come up come up in our um, conversations we have weekly when we do check-ins with each other. And today's uh, subject is uh, intercollegiate uh, athletics. And uh, before I start here, I just want to see how Trish is doing. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Rob. I'm excited to talk about recruiting and recruited athletes. Okay, well, good. You know, when I was, uh, um, and I don't know about you, but when I went in as a you know plea back in the uh, late 80s or at, rather mid 80s, um, you know, I was not a recruited athlete. I, I thought I was a pretty good athlete in high school. I, I ran track and cross country and found out pretty quickly when I got to, uh, West Point that, you know, that my, um, you know, my running was not anywhere near what would, <clears throat> what would, uh, you know, make, uh, uh, a competitive division one athlete. And so, you know, it takes a lot to be a division one athlete and takes, uh, you know, a lot of talent, a lot of hard work. Uh, and, you know, and I certainly wasn't anywhere close to being that, but I really had no, you know, clue about, uh, about, you know, what division one athletics was maybe beyond, you know, what I saw on the TV with football. Well, sir, you got into West Point, so you must be a D1 athlete. Yeah, yeah, I must be, you know, it's like, what the heck, you know, so, you know, you run a five minute mile and, you know, you, you know, realize that, uh, you know, that the average person who's running division one track at West Point or an academy is running 430, you know, 425 and things. So you realize real quickly that it's not going to, you know, that you're going to be doing um, intramurals. Uh, and then you find out you do intramurals and then you, then you are just about an average runner with intramurals. <laughs> so, you're, so you're humbled very quickly, but, uh, you know, that was sort of my experience, but I didn't realize going into, uh, West Point, how many, uh, cadets are actually athletes. And I think the number somewhere around between, you know, 20 to 25% of service Academy, uh, cadets uh, are athletes. So, I mean, that, is something I didn't know, and it's a significant piece of the uh, of the pie here, uh, and one that I think you know that both people listening to this podcast who are recruited at who want to be recruited athletes are thinking about that, are thinking they can compete at the Division One level, and those you know who are not athletes, you know, I think also need to understand what's going on here because it affects, I think, their both their you know the maybe disadvantages them somewhat for admissions versus advantages the recruited athlete. And so I think understanding the intercollegiate athletic landscape, I think is important in, you know, just understanding uh, academy admissions. It's sort of something that isn't discussed uh, very much by uh, admissions. Uh, And I think it's something that you need to shed light on because if a quarter of your 
you know, classes coming in as, you know, athletes that are division one recruited, uh, that is a significant number. Yeah. Especially compared to one of the big universities where, you know, maybe it's two to 4% of the class versus the service academies up to 25%, you know, 250 athletes a year for each service academy. That's a huge amount. So understanding that, understanding the impact that that has on the stats, right? You know, we talk about the whole candidate score and and your SAT, ACT scores. Well, that's why looking at the 75th percentile is so important for if you're not a recruited athlete, because a lot of those recruited athletes are, are bringing down those averages. So understanding that uh, if you're not recruited is key. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... Um... You know, it's something very important. I mean, I, you know, we have people that use our calculator for, um, and they, you know, hit the 60th or 70th percentile and they say, oh, that means I'm in, you know, to the academy. And then, you know, you don't, what you real, what, you know, you got to realize just what you, what you said is that, you know, the uh, whole candidate scores are, are, you know, are drugged down a little bit by recruited athletes that, uh, you know, so yeah, you need that higher, a uh, whole candidate score if you're not an athlete to be um, to be uh, in, sort of in the running for a appointment. Of course, there's other things that we've talked about in the past, like congressional district, uh, things like that. But um, in general, um, you know, not being a recruited athlete, you need to be that much better uh, in order to um, to get in. So so why? the emphasis uh, on intercollegiate athletics at the academies. Um, first of all, you know, it, it, we're, you know, you're, we're told at West Point when you go in as a plebe that General MacArthur, who was, <clears throat> you know, superintendent of West Point and, you know, obviously one of the legends in the army said on the fields of friendly strife are sown the seeds upon which other fields on other days will bear the fruits of victory. And, um, uh, the idea there is that uh, those, um, you know, cadets that are, you know, uh, actively participating in athletics uh, are going to be better prepared to win our battles on the battlefield in the future. And so that is continually used by, you know, uh, Department of Intercollegiate Athletics to or the Office of Intercollegiate Athletics at the Academy at West Point, And I'm sure similar bromides are used at other service academies to justify um, the uh, emphasis on uh, intercollegiate athletics. I can tell you that in other countries, it's, well, the United States is very uh, unique in this, uh, in this uh, kind of focus on intercollegiate athletics as a uh, emphasis. Um, like, for example, I, I took a group of ROTC cadets to the Portuguese military academy and and they were perplexed with with the emphasis on athletics uh at the at at the service academies and colleges in the in the united states so it's not something you know it's just something that's unique to the to the to the united states and one you know that one could argue you know whether or not that's something that's uh needed or not needed uh in order to make a successful uh, officer but in any event it's present and it's something that is uh is what the academies emphasize and and therefore we've got to talk about it yeah i think it's critical to understand the landscape and and what you're competing against regardless of if you're an athlete or not just understanding the playing field 
Right. And so, uh, you know, we've got, um, let's talk about this playing field as far as uh, the different sports. And I know you've got some uh, data on that there, Kent Penrod. So what's, um, what, what are we talking about as far as I know we, I know you gave the basic numbers, but how many different sports, um, you know, what what are we trying to field here uh, with with these, with these sports? So let's look at West Point as an example. West Point's has 30 teams that they recruit for. And across the core of cadets of about 4,000 cadets, 1,050 cadets are D1 athletes. So you're looking at 25% of the core. Um, and those teams, those teams, uh, baseball, basketball, football, golf, gymnastics, Hockey, sprint football, women's rugby, lacrosse, rifle, men's soccer, uh, swimming and diving, men's tennis, track, women's lacrosse, wrestling, women's basketball, softball, women's tennis, women's volleyball, women's soccer, and men's rugby. So quite a few different opportunities for recruited athletes. And, you know, I think looking at what the three criteria that those athletes have to meet is is fairly important, right? They they have to be a successful cadet. So when they're being recruited, the coach is required to, okay, is this person going to be able to um, you know, listen to the rules at West Point? Are they are they gonna make a good successful cadet? Are are they gonna get through the academics? Will they become leaders? And then that leads into are they gonna be a successful officer? That's the second criteria whichever service academy they're going to, you know, that branch of service. And then the third one is, will they help the team win? And I think it's up for debate, right? What coaches really look, put emphasis on. It's probably more, will they help the team win? At least that's what they care about now versus if they're going to be a successful cadet or officer. But the important thing to remember is that every recruited athlete does go in front of an admissions committee before they're they're recruited and appointed. So keep that in mind, right? The coaches can't just pick anybody. They have to have, there's some, there's some minimums for the recruited athletes. Right. And they're filtered through the senior associate athletic director for recruiting and admissions who actually interfaces is the person in the office of intercollegiate athletics who interfaces with the uh, department with the admissions department out of service academy. So the coaches don't go directly to the admissions office. They go through uh, in, at West Point in the ODIA. It's called to go to go straight to then the the uh, the the admissions office and advocates for the um, the candidate in front of the admissions uh, board or the admissions committee. So looking at those 250 athletes that are recruited each year, uh, if you look historically, you know, 20 to 25% of those athletes are winning their their congressional district, which Mm -hmm. means that 200 of those athletes are not winning their member of Congress vacancy, their congressional district. So I think kind of talking about where these nominations are coming from and how that, you know, how that impacts your chances as both an athlete and a non-athlete are important. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So you, so that's an important point is that 200 athletes do not win their congressional district. And, and I think that's a really key point here is that, is that 
um, you know, they, there's got to be ways to get them in that are not <laughs> winning their district. And so, you know, we've talked a little bit before about the top 150, meaning the top 150, the whole candidate score get in. Now, I don't know how many of those athletes make the top 150, but my guess is probably very few of the 200. So maybe you can take 10, maybe off the top there of the 200, maybe then you're down to about 190 uh, that have to find a slot uh, other than the congressional and the top 150. Um, does that make sense to you? I know we didn't, I know we, we're kind of, you know, spitballing some of these things because the service can, we certainly don't, um, don't bring these things out, but does that make sense? Yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense, right? Cause you're going to have some athletes who are, who are very talented, mm-hmm. uh, athletically and academically who probably are scoring in the top 150 of the, um, qualified alternates just because they have, you know, that those really good grades and those really high test scores. Right. So, okay. So that leaves us with 190. So um, let's talk about the two um, areas that they're going to get their uh, uh, appointment slot from that. Uh, and so the first one, I don't know, do we want to tackle the, uh, the, the prep score? Or do we want to tackle uh, additional appointees? Um, let's talk about additional appointees first. Okay, great. So additional appointees, there's 220 additional appointee slots, uh, for a, uh, for the academy, each academy. Uh, these slots are, uh, at the complete discretion of the service academy in order to award uh, appointments to. So if we're down to about 190, um, we will talk about the prep school and, you know, my guess with the prep school is we're looking at probably about 60 to 70 uh, of the slots are from not from the additional appointees. But in any event, I, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. But there's 220 slots for uh, that the academy has to choose individuals uh, that uh, are that, you know, based on what the academy uses as a criteria. So a number of those slots are reserved then for athletes, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, really where do those slots, it's athletes and then just the class composition goals. So if there's any areas of the, the class that they're trying to bring up in terms of diversity or other determiners that, th- that they want to use. So, you know, a good portion of those 220 slots are, are going to athletes. Right. Yeah. My estimate is about 70% of those additional appointee slots go to athletes. Now, um, so, you know, so you've got about, what, about maybe 40 or 50 additional slots that are for other people. Now, one of the benefits of the, of the, of these athlete additional appointees is, is of course, the uh, diversity piece of this is that, you know, about 20% of recruited athletes are African-Americans, and those are um, a group that certainly is one that the, the Army wants to raise as far as a number of officers. And so the recruited athlete piece does get at that, um, that demographic group um, you know, quite a bit. So it does sort of serve a dual purpose of you know, getting the athlete in, but also increasing the African-American population uh, at the service academy. So, but the remainder of those, 
let's just say 40 or 50 slots are also going to go to other, you know, kind of uh, what you were talking about, Trish, regarding these, you know, the, the diversity areas uh, and class, class composition goals. Uh, so, um, you know, that can be, you know, uh, other minorities that could be, um, uh, you know, it could be any sort of thing that the academy deems as a um, as important to them. One of the other areas that we're going to talk about in the subsequent podcast of this is, uh, is, you know, specific people that stand out uh, as part of, uh, you know, their activities that they do in high school. And in particular, uh, one of the areas I know that is used as for additional appointees is our class presidents. Yeah, that's def- that's a that's a whole other can of worms that you're opening right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we won't talk. We certainly won't won't discuss that uh, today. But we'll we'll save that for the uh, for our next uh, episode on uh, on kind of uh, activities and kind of the impact that they have on the service academy uh, admission. So uh, so then you're looking. So about seventy percent of those slots go to the recruited. Seventy percent of those two hundred twenty. Additional appointee slots go to um, uh, recruited athletes, and so so that leaves probably about sixty slots remaining. And then we have a whole separate category, which is the uh, the uh, the prep school, which is interesting because they typically are bringing in a hundred recruited athletes from each prep school class. Mm-hmm. And that that is under the service connected nomination um, instead of having to go through the normal route just because of the fact that that they're reservists, correct? Right, right. So the uh, the prep schoolers, there's 85 slots for active duty and 85 slots for reserve guard, uh, reservists. They don't say guard, just reservists. And so prep schoolers that are coming from uh, high school, they don't go through basic training. So they're considered, I believe they're considered, I'm almost sure, actually I'm sure that they're considered reservists. (laughs) They fall under that 85. Uh, Now there's some people who go to the the prep school that are coming from active duty. and, And my understanding is they keep that active duty designation. And there's also 85 slots for active duty uh, people, so active duty soldiers, sailors, airmen, depending upon you know which prep school they're going to, and so all, most of those eighty-five reserve slots are used for uh, prep schoolers. So there you go. So there's that accounts for the remainder of your cl- of your recruited athlete class or people that go from the prep school to uh, and get that appointment through the, um, you know, the service connected, as you say. So Trish, what's the dominant, what, what are the dominant sports we're talking about here? Because not all sports at what, at the academies are created equal as we know. So true, sir. So true. Well, I think, I think we're, we all know here that, that, uh, football is the football dominant what? sport. <laughs> yeah. Well, all you have to do is just look at, uh, one of my favorite teams, USC and going to the big 10, to get an idea of kind of, well, everyone, you know, just read the paper on a daily basis to see how much money is being generated <laughs> in college football these days. So true. So true. So, and in fact, you know, there's about every year they're looking for 75 recruits for football. 
And two thirds of those go to the prep school. So 50 football players are going to the prep school before they're actually going in into the service academies. So, you know, that's about half of the prep school, you know, um, recruits that come in every year. So that's a huge, a huge deal. Football, lacrosse, track and wrestling are are the big four for West Point. And why is it, why is it that they limit the sports going to out of uh, the prep school? I mean, I know the answer, but I'm just uh, just curious if. Um, <laughs> of course, me, I'll, of go, course. I'll go ahead and answer the question. Okay, so so at the prep school, you know, you it's almost like a redshirt year, right? And so it's you get your fifth year there, and they've got to have enough people to field a team, right? So you know, to go against like I know the prep school at West Point goes up against, I think local colleges or maybe community colleges in the, in the West Point area. You got to have enough people to field the field the football team. You got to have enough pe- people to field the track team to field at least a lacrosse team. And so that's so you send people to the prep school, at least the athletes, where you can form a team. Sports like um, I don't know, like uh, uh, volleyball um, and you know Swimming. baseball, baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, they just don't they, they don't have enough athletes to form a team to go to the prep school to, to make it worthwhile, because if a real good baseball player is being recruited for West Point, if you send him to the prep school, he loses it. He or she he loses or she loses a year and just sits there at the prep school for a year, just, you know, and not working out or, or not playing the sport. Right. Yeah, that's that's hard to keep that D1 competitiveness. Right, right. So you've got to, you know, because they're sitting at the prep school learning, you know, uh, their, you know, kind of, you know, subjects to get ready for West Point or the other service academies. Uh, So so generally, they're only going to send athletes to the prep school that where they can field teams. And as you mentioned, it's only those four or five sports. And I think looking at the reason why, why you'd go to the prep school versus the direct entry, and, and a lot of it has to do with their confidence and your ability to be successful when it comes to STEM classes, I think, at the end of the day. So your grades and and have you completed pre-calculus and trig, you know, what kind of SAT, ACT score do you have? That's going to be the differentiator between can they sneak you into the class or do, do you need to go to the prep school first to, to work on, on those, those math and science classes first? Yeah. And I think that for a non-athlete, non-active uh, non duty service person, that's, I have, we oftentimes get asked about that, you know, is there a chance that I'm going to get picked up for the prep school? And, you know, we take a look at their, you know, their transcript and they've had, you know, calculus a b and b c uh and all these ap courses and everything and and uh you know i tell them you know it's it's likely you're not going to be invited to the to the prep school because you just would be completely bored there uh you'd just be not challenged because most of the candidates that are going there are taking pre-calculus you know you've already done that in you know 10th or 11th grade and it's not going to make a lot of sense for you to you know, and, and the academy looks at that too. I mean, they look at. I mean, you're you're better off if you don't get into the academy to take a year of college somewhere. Join join ROTC as we kind of talked about uh, in a previous podcast, and then re recompete the next year. 
Yeah, and and just looking at the the SAT ACT scores. So, you know, there is a rule that 10% of the class can have below you know, it's a a 550 verbal and a 570 math for the SAT and and 25 for the ACT. So, mm-hmm. you know, you you could potentially get in, but are they are they willing to take that risk on you? Are, you know, if do you need more time to prep to make sure that you're going to be successful? Because at the end of the day, they want people who are going to graduate and and get through the program successfully as a cadet. Right. And you do retake the SAT at uh, at the prep school. And I believe they give you, uh, you know, SAT, ACT prep courses and things like that at the at the prep school to get ready. So um, remember, there's also, you know, uh, candidates coming from active duty that need more, a little bit more, you know, prep before they go into the academy also. So, you know, it's not just athletes that are going to uh, the prep school. It's also, you know, active duty service members uh, also. So that's something, you know, to keep in mind too. So, so good. So um, let's talk about um, the uh, process if you are a recruited athlete. I know that we, you know, that Sometimes people think they're recruited athletes. Some people think they can uh, <laughs> division one. And it was interesting because if you listen to, um, you know, the senior associate athletic director at West Point, you know, he says, you know, not everybody can be a division one athlete. I mean, even people who are really, really good high school athletes, you know, are not going to play division one uh, athletics. And so how does this process work for those who are kind of listening, who may think that they can play division one athletics uh, how does this process work there, uh, Trish? How does this work? Well, sir, I think it's important to l- consider the different um, people that are involved in the process first. I think talking about mm-hmm. the difference between your liaison officer, so, you know, blue and gold officer, field force officer, academy liaison officer, for, depending on what service academy you're talking about, versus your coach. And looking at the two different roles there. So your coaches are the only people who can recruit you. You know, your liaison officers are not recruiting you. In fact, they're really barred from talking to you about uh, athletics in general. You know, they can talk to you about your process, where you are, they can help you along, but they're really not going to be giving you any advice or guidance on being recruited athlete. That being said, they can if they see someone with a lot of talent, you know, they can forward that person's name to admissions. They can give you the the contact information for a coach. So just understanding the difference between the coach and the liaison officer is critical. uh, Just, just to make sure, you know, you're not blurring any lines. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's made uh, very clear to, uh, you know, the, alumni also that, you know, there's limited things that you can do to recruit, but it's referring them to the coaches where then the coaches can recruit based on the NC2A uh, rules and regulations, which we know are very strict in regards to how you recruit uh, athletes for, um, for the, uh, for um, the academies. So, okay, let's, so, um, so let's just say the coach gets your, um, you know, gets wind of you or, you know, is re- you are referred to the, and you reach out to the coach or the coach reaches out to you. How is the coach going to screen out people to determine, you know, and how are they going to categorize them? Yeah, really good question. There's, 
you know, there's a few different things that they're looking at, but first off, they want to make sure that are you worth recruiting? You know, like at the end of the day, are you going to help their team win? So how do they do that? They look at, you know, they look at tapes, they look at stats. Uh, If you're on any of a lot of sports have different sites that track stats, you know, getting onto one of those sites so that your your stats can be tracked, that's going to be helpful in showing the coach that you're, you know, you're competitive, you have a a really good shot at, at helping the team win, because at the end of the day, that's what they want. They want, they want players and members of their team who are going to push the team ahead. And then after that, you know, they're going to be, they, if they send you to the admissions selection panel, you know, they want you to be successful. So they're going to be, they're going to ask to see your transcript, your high school transcript. They're going to be looking for those prereqs, the, the math classes, you know, have you taken four years of English? Um, and then they're, they're probably going to do some medical screening too, because that's such a, a huge thing that most coaches don't have to deal with, right, is making sure that you're medically qualified based on the Department of Defense Medical Exam Review Board's criteria. And, you know, we have we have a podcast just dedicated to that. So if you're interested in, in those uh, d- common disqualifiers, but above all, you know, it's that's really food allergies, asthma, uh, mental disorders. Those are some of the main ones that that coaches will be looking for, and, and they'll, they'll probably ask you about. But so, assuming that they they found you, they like your stats. There's a there's a, a number rating, and you'll hear the term blue chip athlete thrown around, right? So, if you are rated one by a coach, that means that you're being recruited, and that they're probably going to use one of the vacancies, you know, additional appointee or um, whichever vacancy to, to try and, and, and help you get in. Now that won't necessarily happen directly from the coach as we talked about earlier, but just knowing that if you're rated one, that's where you want to be as a recruited athlete. And then there's a few other numbers that you need to know about. So four is the coaches looked at you and they're not interested for whatever reason, you could potentially walk onto the team, you know, if you can get in as a as a normal cadet, not as an, a recruited athlete. But they've already looked at you and they've decided, no, we don't have any interest in pursuing recruitment. Mm-hmm. And then, lastly, you, you're either a five or a six, which a five means they've looked at you, but they're not sure, and so they're going to either make a decision and say, yes, I I want this person as a one, or no this person then is a four over the course of the year. So they, they, they really just haven't decided on you yet. And then six means that you're new, you're not unrated. Right. And so um, I know we've, uh, you know, we're working this year with a recruited athlete. Um, and, um, you know, the biggest thing I would say that's, that jumps out, that jumped out at both of us is that if you are a recruited athlete, you are going to know it. <laughs> I mean, really quickly. I mean, you know, they're going to, you know, there's going to be certain language and, and sort of uh, code words that the coach is going to tell you uh, that, you know, that, you know, that, you know, in other words, you know, you're, you know, you're admitted, you're, you know, going to be admitted, you're, you know, th- these kind of language that indicates to them after they pre-screened you that, you know, that you're going to be admitted to the academy. If, if the, on the flip side, if, you know, you're emailing them, and you're not getting a response, uh, you know, they email you nicely periodically, uh, thanking you for sending in, you know, your latest film of, you know, your uh, high school exploits and everything like that. It's high. It's likely that you are probably a four 
and that, you know, and, but they're not going, they probably aren't going to tell you that directly. Does that, does that make sense, uh, Trish? It does. I wish they would tell you people though. I want to know, you know, like I think, I think, uh, Students deserve to know where they are in the process, but I think a lot of the coaches tend to, to keep their, their cards close. Uh, I think it is important here to talk about that each team has a goal, right? A, a number right, of, right. of slots that they're they're trying to pursue. And coaches know yeah. that they might get someone to verbally commit and, and that that person might end up changing their mind. Right. So they will go above and beyond and recruit more athletes than they have slots for which means at the end of the day, you know, say there's five slots, eight people have been recruited. Three of those people are not actually recruited. You're not recruited until you have a written contract. And that's key. So even if you get a verbal, a verbal affirmation from a coach, right. Until it's, until you've signed on the dotted line, it doesn't mean anything. Right. And so the numbers are, are vary uh, by each, uh, by each, um, a sport. I mean, if you take a look, you know, if we look at the direct goal for, say, um, you know, baseball, it's 14, football, 75, you know, gymnastics, six, rifle, three. I'm just kind of, you know, throwing out some of the various sports goals. But you see that, you know, that some sports have a ton of slots that, you know, blue chip or, you know, number one, you know, uh, or rated one, whereas other coaches have very few. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And knowing knowing those numbers, right? If, if you're in a like, for instance, rifle three, there's three slots. That's so competitive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you just yeah, and and they've got to be careful with who they commit, and and you know, you just you know, you don't know you know, the coach is not likely going to tell you, you know, how many other people are interested in, you know, shooting for, you know, the the certain academy. So, um, you know, so what we'll do is we'll post this uh, as at the podcast, we'll post that um, the data for the class of 2024 for uh, West Point for the, um, you know, what their kind of recruited goals were for the, um, you know, for this, for that class year. And, you know, to kind of break that out for you, for you all, but, um, certain, you know, sports get more, um, more slots. Uh, and, you know, some of these, you know, I know, for example, football, I mean, football brings in, you know, direct 75, their goal was 75 in 2024 for West point. And a certain number of those people are going to get cut, you know, from the team also, they're not going to make it. So the coach, you know, goes in there and they realize it's going to be a, you know, a, a vetting process to, to a degree, so, you know, you can see the emphasis, you know, on fielding, you know, certain teams and, you know, uh, the and cutting certain people also. So coaches also have to consider, you know, who's going to attrit once they get there. Yeah, really good point. Yeah. So, so good. So, uh, so good. So what else do we want to talk about here, uh, you know, regarding intercollegiate athletics before we talk about kind of the impact on the average Joe or Jane? I would say the really the, the main thing to know is that uh, the National Letter of Intent signing day is, is an important day that's that happens in junior junior year, July of your junior year. And just keeping that date in mind, that's when you can officially be recruited. So, you know, after that point, 
the coaches can re- recruit you. They can send you up to the the selection panel, the admissions panel, and and get this get the go ahead. Yeah, and I think another thing that came to my mind is the Dodmerp. We you talked about Dodmerp here earlier, and um, you know athletes do have an advantage getting waivers in with uh, the Dodmerp. So if you if you uh, are disqualified for by the Department of Defense Medical Exam Review Board for um, you know some issue, uh, and there's a list of those, and you can go to our um, you know, to our previous podcast that talks about um, Dodmer, the superintendent of West Point uh, delegates the authority to the surgeon, uh, United States Military Academy, United States Air Force Academy, or Naval Academy to waive uh, certain uh, disqual- disqualifications. And so the, it, the Office of Intercollegiate Athletics at the Service Academy interacts with the surgeon to uh, work on waivers for um, athletes and individuals that, you know, so there's another thing, I mean, you know, you know, a regular person being admitted to an academy doesn't have the officer here in collegiate athletics uh, uh, interfacing with the surgeon to get you a, a, a waiver. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's <laughs> quite a, quite a disadvantage. <laughs> So yeah, so I mean, you know, you're you're a really good athlete, and you're going to impact the football team, uh, and you need that waiver, you know, and there they could certainly give you a waiver and consider you uh, for that, whereas a, a, a normal candidate may not necessarily be considered in the same way because the waivers are completely at the discretion and needs of the service, uh, and that's you know, so you know, we work with candidates each year. Well, say, am I going to get? The, am I going to get a waiver or not for a service academy? And the answer is, is that you know, first of all, you have to be considered competitive for admission. But second, is that it? You know, is that you know, you may get, a, you may not get that waiver versus someone else, an athlete may get that waiver. And so you've got to, you know, so it's completely up to the discretion of the academy to grant those waivers. Yeah, that's such an important note to make too, because. A lot of times we talk about the common disqualifiers and, you know, which ones are easier to waive. But I think you're right. That absolutely goes out the door when you have a whole team of people that are advocating on your behalf behind closed doors. Yeah, exactly. So it's not to give the impression that they're going to waive, you know, things that just can't be, uh, you know, waived. But there's a lot of discretion on waivers, uh, you know, that uh, that you know, can be done by, for the needs of the service. And it's, uh, and, and, uh, you know, they, they are used for athletes and they are being uh, advocated there. So that's just another kind of advantage that athletes have beyond kind of just the preferential, uh, admission that they have. So given all of this, um, you know, there, there's probably the majority of people listening to this are probably are coming to the conclusion that they're not going to be a recruited athlete, for a division one sport. So where does this leave them? And I know this is going to repeat some of the things we've talked about in the past, but what, where, where does it leave the average non-division one athlete that that's coming from high school? Hmm, sir, I think, uh, if you're not a D one athlete coming from high school, I think you should take the SAT ACT early and often <laughs> and try and get your score as high as possible. Right. 
Yeah, because if you realize that the uh, SAT or ACT and the whole candidate score is somewhere around 40% uh, overall of the uh, whole candidate score, and then uh, the um, your GPA rank in class, rank in class is being de-emphasized, but you know, your GPA and your rigor of your courses and the rigor of your high school is another 20%. But yeah, I mean, what you can control is that SAT or ACT. And so your goal as a non- recruited cadet or midshipman is to either win your district, that one slot for your congressional district, or get into the top 150. Uh, And so generally for the top 150, you're looking at over 1400 SAT score with an an emphasis on math uh, over verbal as far as your uh, scores go because math is weighted 60%, verbal weighted 40%, or about a 32 uh, ACT ACT score. So that's exactly right, Trish, is take these tests early, often the academy super score get into get into that top 150 if you can't if you if you're particularly if you're in a competitive district where it's likely you're not going to win your district and for you know the high school freshmen and sophomores that are listening to this right now now is your opportunity to really set yourself up for success because at the end of the day all the service academies are looking for future leaders right so developing that leadership potential and showing that there's a pr- propensity for leadership is a huge deal. So I think this leads into the getting involved in activities podcast, which we'll we'll discuss here shortly. But just, you know, finding things that you're really passionate about and throwing yourself into those. Uh, and, you know, so you're a leader in your community and developing those skills now. Right. Yeah, exactly right. And, and uh, you know, developing kind of your, you know, complete um, you know, package uh, early uh, so that, you know, when you are competing as a, you know, as an applicant, when you're a senior that you've, you know, you've, you've become the, the strongest candidate you can based upon the uh, measures that they do for the whole candidate score, which consists of, you know, your uh, SAT or ACT score, super scored, your uh, rank in class, GPA uh, slash uh, rigor of your high school courses, rigor of the high school that you go to is kind of a score there. Your athletics that you participate in high school, your um, uh, your activities, uh, your score on the candidate fitness assessment, and then your application itself and interview uh, that all go into the final um, score here. So, um, you know, when we talk about activities next time, we're going to talk about how people can kind of snag one of those additional appointee slots that are, um, you know, kind of, you still have some of those remaining for, you know, candidates that are uh, really, you know, ones that the academy wants to bring in that's beyond the athletes and beyond, um, you know, class diversity, class, um, you know, goals. Uh, And so we can certainly talk about that here next time. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's really uh, what you're facing as a kind of non-athlete, you know, cadet or midshipman trying to get into a service academy. And, and it's, I think this point is often lost with, um, with candidates in general and parents. Yeah, definitely. So hopefully we've shed some light on the whole process today. Yeah. And, you know, so, 
you know, whether or not you agree or disagree with, you know, the emphasis on the uh, intercollegiate athletics at the service academy, uh, you know, it's not going to change. Uh, and it's one where you got to understand the, the field that you're playing on and using a sports analogy. You got to understand what, who you're competing against and what the playing field you're on to get into one of these service academies. And that's really, I think, the central goal of, of really, Trish, you and I and kind of what we're doing uh, with, with, with us is that we want to just shed light on the admissions process and things that the admissions and the academies don't really talk about as much, but you need to be aware of as you're kind of, you know, doing your application. And, and we hope, you know, that this uh, podcast is an episode is helpful for both you know, those who want to be athletes. And certainly, you know, if you're a really good division one athlete, certainly take advantage of this way the system is set up to help you get into one of these academies. And then for those who aren't, you know, realizing the playing field that you're on and, you know, and adjusting your expectations, but understanding that you, you know, what you need to do in order to, in order to get admission. Absolutely. Knowledge is power. Okay. Well, good. Well, Trish, it was great. I'm glad we're uh, back here with uh, you know with this and another podcast that we'll do here shortly to get out two in a row. We know we've got uh, our listeners are probably asking where the heck we've been, but uh, <laughs> we're here. You can email us at any time and ask us a question. We're more than happy to answer it. We're, we're we haven't gone anywhere, and you know we're going to continue to do these uh, you know kind of on an ad hoc basis. But we're we're still here. We're not going anywhere. I'll see you next time, sir. Okay, we'll see you. Bye. You've reached the end of another episode of the GAIN Service Academy Admission Podcast. Connect with us at gainserviceacademyadmission.com. Love this episode of the podcast? Head over to iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you listen to to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. 